0: Welcome to the Tea Grannies. I'm Elise.
1: And I'm Maria. Today we're here to chat about character building. So pour yourself a cup of tea and let's get started.
0: One. I'm not listening to anything, she is saying. Her lips are painted cherry red. And they're opening and closing, twisting left and right with words she means for me to hear. There's a smudge of lipstick on one of her teeth, and if it weren't for the fact that she had just fired me, I might have told her. But now I will keep it to myself and hope that it comes to haunt her later on. Are you listening to me, Claire? No, I wasn't. I was picturing how it would feel to run my keys alongside of her car. As soon as she told me that the company was letting me go, her words had stopped making sense, and all I could hear was a high-pitched buzzing sound that might have been coming from the plug under her desk, or maybe from my imagination. Sorry? I put on my sweetest voice, laid on thick. I am mocking her, but I'm not sure if she can tell. There's a clock above her head. I watch it tick each agonizing second by, one by one. She smiles, and my attention goes back to the tooth with a lipstick. I smile back at her. We really appreciate everything you've done for the company over the last four years. I'm sorry it had to end this way. Suddenly she's standing, and I stand too. She pushes one hand forward for me to shake, as if we are friends. I shake it because that's what you're supposed to do in this situation. Please feel free to use me as a reference for future positions. I would be happy to give you a glowing review. This is the part where I'm supposed to thank her, for her time, for the years we spent working together. But I can't do it. I'm still thinking about keying her car. I nod. It's the least I can do, and that's what she deserves. The least. I grab my things, and I leave the office for the last time. I make sure to walk past her car on my way out. It's cherry red, just like her lipstick.
1: So overall, I thought this was a great introduction. Uh, as you all know, I love being dropped right into the scene. And we get that here where the main character is being fired and her internal dialogue is pretty relatable. I liked it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the cherry red lipstick and the car comparisons were re- really well done and it gave us a good clear picture of the boss. Um, and we get quite a few things in the first page. We get that our main character's named Claire She's been let go from a job that she's been at for four years and she's pissed off, but too polite to have a fit about it. So I love the detail about the lipstick on the boss's teeth and how she didn't tell her. I thought that was <laughs> perfectly petty, you know. <laughs> Who hasn't wanted to do that to someone? Um, and yeah, we we do so while we get a lot of good good character from Claire, we're kind of missing something. Like I, I feel like Uh, we just need a line somewhere in the first page here where we learn a bit about like what her career plans and the trajectory is. Like, was this her dream job? Mm -hmm. Was this like, she's just doing it because she has to pay rent, but now she's pissed because now she's in a job hunt. Um, Is she mad because yeah, is she mad because the boss is casual, but she doesn't actually care about losing the job that much. So just an easy addition that would give us a little bit more about Claire and kind of where we're going with this whole story as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only thing I would have needed to hook me before the end of page one. Why does it matter so much that she's been let go? And why is she so angry about it? But aside from that, I love this. I thought it was really well written and a uh, mm-hmm. really solid first page. Oh, yes.
0: Agreed. The the opening for this character is killer it's brilliant it's perfect for this episode um and so like like maria said we get quite a bit in this first page and most importantly you can probably hear this coming from a mile away we get immediate empathy for claire like that comes in pretty much right away i was feeling i was rooting for her i was feeling for her i was like eh, she lost her job and that really sucks and it sounds like it was probably unfair or she at least considers that this is an unfair dismissal or a not a good way to go about it so immediately i'm like yeah let's go key this woman's car let's do it i'm i'm, I'm there <laughs> with you <laughs> but um I think, I think Maria's suggestion about adding a beat about why she's so angry would drive it home that much stronger. This already packs such mm-hmm. a good punch. Like, it's really strong. It's really just polished and ready to go. Um, and I love how much I'm rooting for her after a couple brief paragraphs. But yeah, with that that additional piece of stakes, like what does this mean for her? Is it actually a big deal? Is she someone who's a bit more petty and she thinks it's a big deal, but looking at it realistically, it actually wouldn't be. We don't know that. We don't have that um, that intuition because we don't know her well enough yet. So that might add a little something. Um, yeah, what else do I have to say here? The descriptions really hooked me. Um, I really enjoyed the, the red lipstick and the color of the car. That's a really good visual and it tied together super well um and I also appreciate how the opening paragraph it draws you in with description it is purely description but it also provides a very clear emotional stage for where Claire is at like it's not just Mm -hmm. describing a scene and painting a picture it's also giving you emotion and more value so I really enjoyed that effect but like it's very clear from the right (laughs) from the get-go that she's not enjoying this meeting and things are only going to get worse so this sets a really good tone for the submission as a whole and it makes me want to it makes me want to join her in petty retribution so uh even though I don't know what we're getting revenge for I want to do it I want to get the revenge because it feels justified um yeah and I made a few suggestions for wording and phrasing changes to make a few of the sentences flow and land better but yeah I just really enjoyed this piece I think it's brilliant the dagger stabbed into Annalise de Bourdon's stomach, the pain searing through her body. She clutched her hand around the wound, but couldn't stop the flow of sticky warm blood spilling over her hands. She stretched one hand up, pleading with the woman standing over her. "Please, Rosalie, w- why-, why did you do this?" Even talking was an effort. "I I thought you were my friend." Rosalie Fahan stared down at her coldly, twitching the skirts of her gown out of the way. They should never have chosen you to marry Prince Claude. It should have been me. But they wanted your father's wealth. Of course, my precious Claude soon came to regret that decision when it turned out you couldn't give him an heir. Rosalie smirked. Do you want to know a secret? She moved closer, carefully keeping her shoes and dress away from any blood. Annalise stared at her, tears dripping down her cheeks, She trusted Rosalie so much. The palace had been so cold and intimidating when she first married the crown prince. Becoming friends with Rosalie was like being near a vivacious and pretty son. She charmed all those around her. And Annalise thought herself to be so lucky to have her as her best friend. But that had all been a lie. All of it. Rosalie had destroyed her life. I made sure you couldn't ever have a child, Rosalie whispered. The corner of her lips curling up every torturous day that i had to serve you as your lady-in-waiting pretending to be your best friend let me slowly poison you she laughed the sound pure echoing prettily
1: in the hall Uh, i thought our second piece was very intriguing um The thing that stood out to me the most after I read it was I think we might need to start in a different place so that the reader has a little more context Hmm. uh, and a little more setting so my my first suggestion really is to um, give us a little bit of like Annalise walking in the gardens or wherever this happens with Rosalie and kind of taking in the day and then you know Rosalie takes her by surprise at the stabbing and it just would have been like a nice contrast to see the before and how she because this came to her as a total surprise so like how oblivious she was before and then the moment that it happens um it doesn't have to be like a long like this can still happen in the first page the stabbing and um yeah I just think that would help help a little bit like anchor us in the story before we get into the the action Mm -hmm. um I can't say any more about where it starts. Like I don't have any context for the rest of the story and I don't know, but that's just my first uh, impressions of these pages. I do really like the sequence of events. There's lots of layers to the portrayal. There's the the long time, like the poisoning, then there was the stabbing and Rosalie's like not messing around. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She's like, you're done. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So um, my other thought is I would maybe wouldn't, reveal all of her motivations right here in the first page unless it's crucial to the rest of the story for us to mm-hmm. know everything right away um because we don't yet know enough about the characters to be super invested so the betrayal will have a bigger punch if we're already invested in Enlise, oh, yeah. for example so I think yeah if we just had a little more little more plot a little more world building to go with all the character on this first page I think then it would be like perfect like mm. super one of those run into the checkout moments because uh-huh. it would have all the ingredients on the first page I'd be like I gotta get home so I can binge read this and then do it to the <laughs> <least>. <laughs>
0: you are my new lending library um yeah, <laughs> yeah this piece was really fun um and I understand that when I say fun, I'm talking about murder and poisoning and complete Ooh. betrayal. So, <laughs> please spit a out your readers' water. idea. I would count that as a win. Uh, <laughs> yes, readers' idea of fun. This is my kind of fun. My weekend. Not say I'm going to go stab anyone, but I'll definitely read about it. It's Too messy. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> too much prep. Um, but yeah, when you when we say we like to be dropped into the middle of the action, this you know this does the trick. This does it really well. Um... And, and I love it. I think I do agree with Maria. It's funny how I can I can read her notes and comments and then hear her say them. And then it's like, oh, I considered that, didn't consider that. And now I'm like even thinking about it differently than I did two days ago. So um, I think I agree with her about giving a little bit more context and more world building, mm-hmm. just a little bit. Like I don't want it to become an info dump or an overwhelming description yeah. because I think the power of this piece is just the immediacy of the action, but some way to set the stage to show us where these characters characters are because at this point they're just kind of floating characters we don't have a setting Mm -hmm. we don't know what is around them we've only seen the two women the stabbing and the blood and we don't we don't even know like are they outside or the inside like there's no no details Mm -hmm. about that so something to establish setting would be really good to just set the stage um and then have the dagger come for and launch us straight into the moment i think i could see that working perfectly well Um, and then maybe one or two details thrown in to give us a sense of the vibe of the place how we're supposed to feel about Annalise whether we're supposed to be on her side or not because that's not clear either maybe she's a horrible person and uh, she deserved to die I mean that sounds horrible I don't think anyone deserves to (laughs) die in this way please don't record me on that oops but um, depending on how we feel about Rosalie at this point we might be rooting for her I don't know. I haven't read enough of Mm -hmm. these characters to know which character I actually want to win in this scenario, but I could see a version of it where I'm rooting for Rosalie, which sounds horrible. This whole thing is just making me sound like a horrible person. I need to backtrack (laughs) really hard right now. Um, But as it stands, regardless of how we feel about either of them, the conflict in this scene is just undeniably clear. Annalise has the life that Rosalie wanted and Rosalie has been pretending to be close with her in order to take it away out of pettiness, maybe out of revenge of some kind. Um, So I have this intense gut reaction to Rosalie already and how cruel that she's being and immediate sympathy for Annalise because I don't, I know, even though I know very little about her, it seems like she's the victim in this scenario Um, and we're diving into a very cruel world and obviously I'm here for it. But yeah, adding that description would help. Um, and just, I want to stress just a little bit because the world building, it doesn't necessarily matter as much at this point. We do need a sense of setting mm-hmm. to know like what time period they're in maybe, but yeah, that seems... yeah that's kind of what I
1: needed a little bit. Like, right. But with the nobility I've...
0: and everything, it's kind of clear, mm-hmm. but yeah. yeah. Like
1: I'm in, I'm picturing 16, 1700s mm-hmm. type. Yep era that's kind of what I have in mind when yeah. I'm reading it. But I could be wrong. You could this could be plunked into a different timeline and absolutely maybe it's fantasy, maybe it's historical fiction. So yeah, mm-hmm. I do think a little bit more would be yep. Be super helpful. Would I mean, really sell it for me.
0: It could be yeah. even present day. Like we don't mm-hmm. the the conflicts and the things that they're saying sound a little bit old fashioned, but there are people mm-hmm. who still behave and think that way today. So it could be any point in time. Yes. We could use a little bit more setting just to establish time period. I think that would be good. Um, and this conversation makes me realize how important that is. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, don't dwell on it. Anyone can understand the stakes of a relationship like this. The thing that's going on between these two women and how life and death it is. The stabbing and the poisoning speak for themselves. So yeah, there's some really good intensity here. Um and then to Maria's point about revealing motivations really early, I think since Rosalie's intentions are being revealed so quickly, I my tendency is to assume then that the main plot is going to be related to her betrayal, but it's going to come fra- out of it. It's going to come from it. So this is mm. the instigating, the the inciting incident, um, and everything else is going to unravel from this moment. So it might be fine to yeah. reveal those, mm-hmm. but that may not be the case. We don't really have enough information to say whether it is or not. So if there is the option to kind of um, reveal the motivations more slowly, that could be a good way to provide intrigue and add secrets and just make it all that more mm-hmm. interesting depending on where the writer is going with this piece. Like it mm-hmm. could go either way. You could make it work either way. I'd be happy to read it either way because obviously this is my kind of thing. Um <laughs> Yeah, but I'd have to read more to say whether I think you should go one way or the other. Um, And then as a new reader taking this in just at face value, if the story started here, I just loved it. It's the perfect amount of cruelty, gore, and villainy, and I just want to read the rest. Okay, so I I feel like both of those pieces were really good for this episode. We don't we don't always get the uh, the pieces that suit the topic that we're going to talk about. So when they do, like I think last time with world building, it worked out really well. And this time with mm-hmm. we're talking about character building. Both of the pieces that we just went over and talked about were very character driven. Very, very much right mm-hmm. from the start. I feel like they each had a really strong um, tone and character voice right out of the gate. So that brings us into things really nicely. Um, and the first thing we want to talk about is... What's backstory uh, versus what's necessary? Um, which when you're starting a story, you may not know. You may not know that yet because you don't know where the story starts. If you're a pantser like me, you have kind of this vague idea yeah. of a person. Um, and with one of my recent projects, I was I was writing. I was writing these chapters. I was doing really well. I got a whole bunch of words in and then I looked back and I was like, oh, all of that is backstory. All of it. The story doesn't start in any of that. It starts way over here. So now I have this big massive time jump too that I got to cover and figure out what happened there before all the backstory and between and oh my god. And I figured it out. But initially it was like I was doing so well. I was on this roll and then I just had this crash of realization and it was awful. (laughs) But once you know, you can move forward and it's brilliant. So yeah, I mean, and that goes for whether you've got your story outlined from start to finish or you're fly by the seat of your pantser, um, like we are. Backstory mm-hmm. is is really important. It's crucial to the character arc of each character. It doesn't matter if they're a side character or not. It doesn't matter if they're a protagonist, antagonist, whether we like them or not. They have to have a history. They have to have a reason why they're there or else they won't be compelling. So I think the beautiful thing of of pantsing about what I just, just described as... Um, a Wonderful Roller Coaster of Emotions is <laughs> you can figure it out as you go <laughs> along and then edit for those things in the revision phase, um, which I like to do it that way because that's what I'm comfortable with. But then I, I just I literally can't info dump you because I don't know the info yet. So that often helps me <laughs> not overload people with information. And then I can add bits and pieces as they become relevant and I can go back and do that. Um, but there's definitely something to be said for starting with a character backstory and building from there which is what I experienced when I wrote all that backstory and realized for for what it was Mm -hmm. um when I then came to that realization shifted gears I was like okay now where does the story start after all this has happened um I feel like my character was that much stronger in my first draft because I knew so much more about them just from the start I knew how they would behave and why they do these things and the history leading up to it so um I would say that Like in light of this character building and world building, they share similar traits. You can approach them with similar strategies. Um, So I'll probably be referring back to our last episode about world building a lot for this. Um, But just like world building, you want to avoid dumping a bunch of information about a character at once. Like we're not we're not here for a character chart. I don't want to know your birthday and your star sign and your favorite chocolate and that story about you and your mom when you were little that just kind of formed you as a like I don't care. I'm going to be callous and honest. I don't care. (laughs) I want to know where you are and, you know, maybe two sentences about why and then just present moment all the way, baby. I'm not like that in real life, but, you know, when I'm reading, I can stay in the present. It's great. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, you want to reveal bits of pieces at a time and only when they're relevant to a scene. Like, backstory scenes can be really fun to write because they give you this deeper understanding of the character, but oftentimes your reader doesn't need all of that. It's more helpful for you as a writer and you don't need to put all of it into the story as a scene. It's just little bits and pieces that become treats or Easter eggs or just helpful um, occasionally throughout the story. And then character arcs and plot outlines, I think also share a lot of traits because your character's arc needs to, you need to go through ups and downs and grow and change just as much as your plot follows this trajectory of wins and losses and you can't be winning all the time and doing all the things right all the time where no one wants to read your book. Uh, Just like you can't (laughs) be Prince Charming and getting everything right and having all the right words and doing all the right things in your relationships because no one cares about the perfect people. We don't want to read about people who have it all figured out. i think that's what it comes we down want to, to about,
1: read about people that are like us
0: yeah who don't have it all figured out we want to see other people who are more messed up than we are because it makes us feel better about ourselves yes. <laughs> so but also fantasy. <laughs> yeah also help us grow um but yeah because yeah, if everyone's just the same and they don't change even if they're not perfect person but it it becomes kind of like you're writing an entire book full of sitcom characters i don't know if you notice with your sitcoms um they keep confronting the same problems and they don't grow very much from them. That's why sitcoms work because the characters stay the same and you get to relive the same bits and different scenarios over and over again. And that's why we watch them. Um, but for a book, I don't think that works because um, we're looking for some growth and resolve and um, closure. And you're not going to get that if there's no change. But luckily, a character's main arc will probably come out of the main plot point, whether it's because it's a very character-driven character improvement story or because like the main plot, the thing that they're fighting for, the reasoning for why will often reveal something about who they are and what needs to change in order for them to get where they want to be and why it's important to them, what they need to do to achieve that goal. Um, and I think maybe the best way to illustrate that is just to give a couple of well-known examples. So we're gonna go a little tropey here and talk about stories that everyone knows about and not get too interesting. But uh, if you take Katniss Everdeen from The Hunger Games, she's I think she's one of Eileen's favorite examples because it's just really mm-hmm. easy to like use her to it, to describe what you're trying to say. And from a craft perspective, Katniss wants to survive to help her family. Okay, pretty straightforward. We can all kind of understand that motivation. Um, She doesn't want to worry about anyone else or get close to anyone else, because if she does, that puts that goal in jeopardy. If she starts caring about Peta, then she starts doing things for him. And if she doesn't do everything right for her family, then one or the other has to suffer. So when she meets him in the games and starts to care for him, everything changes. Everything gets more complicated. And she has this internal struggle about whether she's going to act on caring for him or whether she's going to act on caring for her family. Um, And those two things don't always align. So she has to grow in that area. She has to decide who she wants to be in order to decide where she's going to go. And then the other one that I thought of really quickly off the top of my head, um, and I'm kind of embarrassed that Katniss came before this one, but in The Lord of the Rings, (laughs) Aragorn, the ranger, wants nothing to do with Aragorn, the king. Like, he doesn't want the leadership that his birthright in Gondor gives him. It's not something he's ever really wanted. And at least in the movies he has to go through a hell of a lot of soul searching um, and a big attitude adjustment to get to the point where he's willing to take it on. Like by the end of the three movies, he's the king of the whole damn place. But from the beginning, he's like, I don't want that. Don't call me king. Don't put me in that powerful position. Like he, he does not accept that when Boromir first confronts him about it at the council. He's just, he's not up for it. Um, but by the end of it, he has completely accepted it. So he has to he has to go through a whole lot of character growth in order to get to that point.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are the best examples ever. Hey, hey. I feel like everyone at least has seen the movies of that. Perfect. <laughs> you know what we're talking about? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think it's important to know your character's backstory. But yeah, you don't have to give the reader a play by play. It's kind of like mm-hmm. if you met. You just met someone. And they're like, I was born on this day, 1963, and my favorite cereal is Cheerios because I'm dead inside. And you're like, okay. <laughs> um, I was just kind of wondering if you knew when the next bus was coming. <laughs> <I'm> like, sure. <laughs> it gets a, it's a little like that. <laughs> uh, yep. Uh, but you, it's that whole thing, like, remember that the reader is smarter than you think they are Mm, so you don't have to reveal everything at once yes absolutely kind of like in that the second piece we critique today like we could have used a little more at the beginning so we had the context for the betrayal but we don't need all of it we Mm -hmm. don't need the whole Mm -hmm. year's worth of time that she's been trying to get pregnant but the prince and all that stuff we don't need all that yeah we just need a little bit yeah Which kind of gets us into the next part, sort of. character (laughs) (laughs) traits. Yeah, I think that leads in well enough. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we had a really good chat uh, when Eileen Cook was on our show about using character traits. um, Mm. But we're going to talk about it again, uh, now that we're in the character-focused episode. Yes. So uh, a lot of writers tend to write their characters' good and bad traits as separate things. But they're not. Just think of any Mm. human you know. Usually... um, what is a good trait in you is also a bad trait in you, depending on how it's, how it goes. Like, here's my example. I'm all about the examples today. Uh, If you're an anxious person, like I think a lot of us are. And if you were before (laughs) COVID, you probably also are now, or at least (laughs) can relate. (laughs) Um, So, you know, this can manifest as good and bad. And Here's my actual example. So my anxiety means that like I plan out my week to a T of like multiple calendars and everyone is under the impression that I am a very hyper organized person. Um, But on the other side of it, this also means that I way overbook myself and overwhelm myself and I don't know how to stop sometimes. Mm -hmm. But that's the same trait that Ah, people think makes me so organized is also a detrimental thing. so we are the same person (laughs) (laughs) so another note um don't info dump with the character building like we talked about we don't need a lot so it's like imagine uh where you got like five paragraphs of your character going Uh on about like what they're good at and what they're bad at Uh uh-oh um it'd be like the worst introduce yourself to the class (laughs)
0: i got anxiety from that comment oh my goodness right (laughs) i
1: know honestly all i have to think about is like the stand up and say three interesting facts about yourself and i'm just like oh my gosh Gosh. like i'm a a mess like i i'm like i i had a smoothie for breakfast and now i have (laughs) hives (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um so think, wow, we really went down the anxious path there. So anyway, what does this mean for your characters? So you can lay out their good traits, because that's usually I think what we hit first when we're we're coming up with our characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then consider how those same traits could be it. A negative effect on their life mm-hmm. and their actions yeah
0: and i would argue that's where it starts to get interesting <laughs> yeah um it's
1: absolutely. it's about it's
0: about a balance and taking neutral traits like it doesn't even have to be a good trait necessarily it can be just kind of mm-hmm. of a neutral one um I don't know if I have any really good examples for myself but um most people would consider me elise is so nice she's just a nice person mm-hmm. like that's the most common comment that i get about myself um and that could be a really good thing like I'm not I'm not rude in public, out loud, just, you know, in the privacy of my own thoughts. In your head. You know, (laughs) that's where it stays. Um, So I can get along with most people, most of the Mm -hmm. time, pretty well. And if we don't get along, it's more of an awkward silence. Don't get along. It's not like we're bickering or, you know really uncomfortable yeah. for everybody else it's just kind of we don't have much to talk about uh, hey and then my anxiety <laughs> spikes but I don't talk about that out loud um
1: <laughs> also internal internal thoughts <laughs>
0: right so I mean there already is um a very clear negative that uh when I don't get along with people when I don't know how to be nice to them because I don't relate to them I just you know clam up I'm gone I don't have anything mm-hmm. to say like that's a negative um so yeah balancing those and just taking things to extremes we talked about that with eileen that's where it starts to get really interesting and really complicated and and where the mess starts to come out which is exactly what we want um so just in the same way that this makes villains believable like you take um maybe a neutral or a decent trait with a villain like loyalty or i love this person and just Mm -hmm. take it to its most dangerous extreme that's what make uh villains the most believable and interesting i think it's the same for heroes so, like I said earlier, no one wants to read about the perfect Prince Charming who does and mm. says all the right things all the time. Everyone loves him. No one can say a bad thing about him. Um, even if that's your dream person in real life, reading about that would be boring as hell. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. There's no way around that. No one wants that. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: kind of a reason everybody is in love with the villain. Right? You know what I
0: mean? Everyone's in love like, with the villain or the bad guy. Did anybody watch or... Shadow
1: and Bone? <laughs> did we watch Shadow and Bone and went... Oh, gee, what's his face? Whose name I don't even remember is the guy I want. Everyone's like the darkling, marry me. Yeah. No one, I don't even remember the other guy's name. And I read the book. Like, you want. The villain, because the villains tend to get all the fun, layered. They're more complex. They're more real.
0: Honestly, they're more real. I think that's what it ends up being. We like flawed people because we are flawed people. So yeah, and that's that's not to say you can just throw out your ugly, your character's ugliest flaws out there either, and just think everyone will be hooked and intrigued. Because the other piece that you have to have is either relatability or empathy. Like even if I don't relate Mm -hmm. with someone, I can possibly empathize with them if it's presented in the right way like what like i was saying in submission number two with rosalie um she poisoned this woman for a good number of years to prevent her from having children which was the only thing she was there for let's be honest when you marry into royalty you're there to make babies and she made sure that that couldn't happen and ruined this woman's life but like i said there is a way you could spin that to make me root for rosalie you could make Mm -hmm. you could put me on her side if you twisted it the right way Um, So -hmm. it's not necessarily about relatability and like, oh, yeah, I totally get Rosalie. I would totally do the same thing and poison this woman because she ruined my life. You go, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Not exactly. I'm not saying she's doing the right thing. I'm just saying I can understand where she's coming from, depending. Yeah so so we have to care we have to care about the character even if they kind of suck even if they're a terrible person mm-hmm. and we'd never want to be friends with them in real life because you know yeah. as much as we hate reading about perfect people we do look for perfect people to yeah. attach ourselves to <laughs> and hopefully learn from them by osmosis um but yeah there has to be some kind of reason why we're rooting for this person and we have to want mm-hmm. them to win for whatever reason that is we have to want them to win
1: yeah Think about it like when you're talking to like your best friend and like they tell you that they did something terrible and you're like, yeah, but like the other person deserved it. <laughs> like you're on their side because you care yeah. about them. Yeah. So, even though yeah. maybe, you know, maybe they did something terrible. You're like, no, no, it's fine. It's, it's fine. You're fine. Because you're my friend. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. And, like, so you got to envision that for your characters too. Like even in the first submission, like we're totally rooting for Claire. Like, how dare she get fired? Like this sucks. But it could be that she sucked at her job, like sucked at her job. (laughs) Yeah. So this leads us right into why Mm -hmm. the most well-written characters are so beloved, even if they're awful. Empathy. So I saw this really great quote once. I saw it on Pinterest. I did not have an author's name on it, so I am not stealing this purpose. I don't know who it belongs to, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was writers write from empathy, not experience. And I think that goes for building your characters, not just their interactions. And just because you've never experienced, you know, for example, like the loss of your partner doesn't mean that you can't use it in your story. So you can use what experience you have. And the whole, like, how would you feel in their shoes exercise? Um, I'm not sure if anyone else's parents were big on that one growing up, but that was how my mom taught us how to be empathetic. And it worked sometimes a little too well. Like <laughs> I to stopped being nice to people who aren't nice to me just because I uh-huh. uh Anyway, this isn't my uh, therapy session for honor. Um, <laughs> so depending on the topic though you will need some feedback on it and you should consult with people who've experienced it so you're not being insensitive and I'm just saying this because I read it I recently read a book uh, with a chronic illness representation which I was quite excited about because I have a chronic Mm -hmm. illness Um, it wasn't the same one but I was excited to see it in a like romantic like rom-com type book and um, I liked it I posted a review and, and someone had messaged me and said that it wasn't a very accurate portrayal of that disease because they had it I was like oh like so I enjoyed it because I didn't know that the the nitty-gritty of it was incorrect so that's something to consider and so if you are getting into a topic like that for your character and you're not a person who actually has that disease or that issue or whatever I think it's really good to find someone who can read that just to make sure you're doing it justice Mm -hmm. and you're not um you know making light of it yeah being insensitive or yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And that may not be your intention, but it can definitely happen unintentionally. So that's a really good point. Yeah. One of my favorite things about about writing, honestly, is creating a character who I know in real life, I would have a really hard time getting along with. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I don't know if I see it as like this exercise in teaching me how to get along with these people that I Find difficult because I don't know if it's actually helped yet, (laughs) but um, I I really enjoy writing them and writing them in such a way that I I can't help but feel for them and understand why Mm -hmm. they're coming at things the way they are. And that doesn't mean that I agree with Mm -hmm. it. That doesn't mean that I even think they're right. It's just like I see how you got from point A to point B. If I was in that Mm -hmm. situation, I may have done the same thing. I understand why you did it, even if it's not the best decision. Like this is why I love reading. This is oh, it's just, it is the pinnacle reason. I go about my life and my day thinking, this is why I like so-and-so, or this is why I hate this person, and we can, we just can't get along, and it won't happen. Like, we, we generalize mm-hmm. those things. And then I pick up a book, and a character who has every trait of that person in my life, I was just thinking about. They pop up, and suddenly they're my favorite character, and suddenly I'm cheering for them, and I want them to have everything they want. I want them to win. And I think mm-hmm. that gives me hope for humanity. It Shows me that, yes, we can change and grow. We can stop hating people that are different from us. It takes a lot of work, and it's not going to be solved by reading one book, but we can get there. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, that is a beautiful thing. It takes some
1: self-awareness. Some people are determined right. to never get there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, you can. You, know. you can. What is it? You can bring a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. Um, yeah, yeah just had yeah. to get kind of a little cliche in there because we need those. Um, but anyways, moving forward from there... In addition to that, the reason that empathy works so well is because, because it does exactly what your mom taught you it does. It makes mm-hmm. us feel what the character is feeling, even if we don't understand it fully. And yes, we need to talk to someone who's actually experienced it to get a full mm-hmm. picture. Um, but it makes us begin to understand some of the facets of what it's like to walk in their shoes, to live in their skin. Mm-hmm. We get to start to understand the deepest parts of them. And that's what makes them so compelling is their inner world, their inner thought life, their inner conflicts their hopes and dreams. Um, When we start to empathize with someone, that's what we're really caring about.
1: Yeah. And every, every character, just like every person has an inner conflict. Um, And it's usually something that they're going through while the plot's kind of taking us through the external conflict. Not always like in a lot of character driven stories, like that's not the case, but for example, again, I'm on the example train today and I'm not getting off yet. Um, <laughs> use a romance novel that I really love as an example. Uh, Devil in Winter by Lisa Kleypas. Mm-hmm. If you haven't read it and you like romance, you got to read it. But that is not the point of today's episode. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> so Evie is our main character and she elopes with Lord St. Vincent. And it's a marriage of convenience for them both. So since this is a romance, uh, one of Edie's main conflicts is her feelings for St. Vincent and what she wants and expects from the marriage. Her external conflicts are succeeding at the elopement, being free of her abusive relatives and nursing her father on his deathbed. So just with that information, there's a whole wealth of backstory and it's introduced really well in this, in this novel. I absolutely love it. And you get a bit of both. And by the end of the book, both of those conflicts have been resolved. Mm. That favorably, sounds, obviously, because it's a romance.
0: That sounds very spicy, and I really want it. It now. was
1: spicy. I was like, this is great. <laughs>
0: okay. Another one a for my series. endless list. Excellent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So we've talked about internals. We've talked about, you know, how people behave and what they're like, mm-hmm. but we haven't talked about what they look like. And yeah, we're getting purely physical here. Uh, so. <laughs> So the last thing we want to tackle is character descriptions, uh, if you couldn't tell what I was alluding to. And I wasn't sure if I'd have much to say about this topic, because I'm pretty sure this is my least favorite part of character creation. Yeah, it's mine too. Describing the actual people. Because um, I my default is like, it doesn't matter what they look like, I just know what they act like. And that's what I care about. But, Faceless blob <laughs> yeah. in my imagination.
1: <laughs> it does matter.
0: Um, and. And if you're, yeah, it does matter because like, if you've read the first pages of any of my stories, you know that at a certain point, most of my readers get confused and be like, wait, how old is she? What does she look like? Wait, I thought she was taller. Wait, is she human? Yeah. So I've gotten questions like that, which is obviously a problem. (laughs) (laughs) So it's important. Um, Yeah. People need to have a visual picture as much as they have kind of an emotional one of each character. Um, So I was, as I was thinking about this, I got thinking about um, my own experience with character creation and if you're not much of a nerd I apologize because the next... Twenty seconds will make absolutely no here. sense. <laughs> but video game nerds and RPG nerds, if you've ever played Dungeons and Dragons or some kind of role playing game, or even a vis- video ba- video game based on RPG concepts, um, you know how crucial character creation is. And like some people, that's their favorite part. They just want to sit in the character creation screen and change the hair color, and change the eyes, and decide what their character is going to wear, and give them a name. And it's like that is the pinnacle of video game happiness for some people um that's where the whole thing starts that is not where i like to stay because i want i want the sword and i want to start killing things but you know to each their own (laughs)
1: stabby stab it's a
0: theme this episode Uh, you're getting to know the real me um in my head the one that i don't show to the people because i'm too nice so Um, so anyways, before you sit down for an RPG or to get good at killing dragons in Skyrim, you have to start with three crucial things. And I think this applies to stories as well. So the first is what they look like. It doesn't necessarily have to be immediately described, but it needs to be within the first couple of pages for sure. The second is what their name is and a bit about who they are. And the third is why they're there. So that's where we get into motivation and emotion. But... That's not to say starting with the day the character was born and every event that got them to this moment, like, yeah, 1963 and Cheerios, we don't need to talk about that. Um, (laughs) But what happened in the last couple of days or weeks or the last couple of moments, the scenes that we didn't see immediately before this scene um, that brought us to where we are when we dive into the story. So I'm going to go back to Skyrim as a video game example. And if you haven't played it, it's just you're a character with a sword and you kill dragons if you like dragons i'm sorry that's just that's how it works okay um (laughs) so i love this game as a character introduction exercise because they do it in a very particular way so when you start the game you're dropped into the middle of a scene and you're seeing things happen from a character's perspective you look down at your hands you're riding in the back of a cart horse-drawn carriage your wrists are bound in front of you and you're sitting with a few other prisoners so that's you're dropped into this moment and then you're riding along for a while you start chatting with one of the other prisoners or they start talking to you because you don't actually talk back. That's how video games do things. Um, and so you start to learn a little bit of the about the world and the backstory, and um, and you find out that why you're captive with these other people, a little bit of how that all happened, and that you're headed for your very own execution. Yay. Um, the cart arrives at a town, prisoners are supposed to be gathered in front of a chopping block to get their heads cut off, and your character jumps out of the cart, and one of the captors in front, who's like calling you out of the cart to line you up, is, looks at you and is like, who are you? cue the character creation screen. So the next thing that happens is you get the screen that loads and you get to pick your name, your race, and then you get to nitpick every single little detail of your character until everything from the size of their eyes and the curvature of their nose is down to your exact specifications. Like you can literally play with the width of it. You have this little slider on the side. You can t- I want it to be exactly this wide so that my eyes are spaced exactly this far apart so that when they open and they're red, it looks really cool. Like You can get really intense about it really specific (laughs) not saying that that's what i did just saying that it's an option bringing us back to the point of this whole conversation when i think about turning this into a writing exercise my instinct is to say that that's way too much detail way too much Uh, and that may be true but this is exactly why with every story that i write like I was saying, my beta readers get into the first few pages of the story and are immediately confused about who my character is and what they look like, because I, I think it's too much information and I don't put any of it in, except like blue eyes. Okay, but anyone can have blue eyes and they can look like anything. Blue eyes is not a helpful
1: descriptor. It's not specific.
0: <laughs> if anything, like it's the one I pay the most attention to, but it is the least helpful descriptor that I can possibly give is the eye color. So because I'm dumb, Maria is going to explain for all of us why I've been dumb. About this whole thing <laughs> up until this
1: moment. I'm going to try. Um, so, this is a good writing exercise. I think, even if you're in your second draft and you're like, wait, maybe I don't have a clear picture of what the picture looks like. Because um, I've done that. I do that every time I write something. So, um, you don't want to read about like couple paragraphs in a row outlining everything about the character physically mm-hmm. because that is super boring super boring mm-hmm. don't don't do it we don't need all that information in one go and this is the other part readers like to fill this in a little for themselves yeah which is why when you see your favorite movie and they get or like your favorite book has been turned into a movie mm-hmm. and you're like that's not how I pictured the main <laughs> character even though <laughs> You know, he had black, messy hair and green eyes. And in the movie, he's got blue eyes. So, <laughs> sure you know what movie I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like you want get them to be able to fill in the gap a little bit too because a lot of us, when we're reading too, we want to kind of put ourselves as the main character and so you <laughs> don't want to like over, you don't want to be too, too specific. Uh, but that being said, you can be as specific as you want when you write the description for yourself. Yes. And then you can feed that information throughout the story. Yes. You don't have to tell us on page Balance. one. Like, you know, you got dark curly hair and like round glasses. I'm describing at least right now. <laughs> <laughs> um but you can you can add that in kind of as you go and some of the things that you list might never make it into the book and that's okay Mm -hmm. that's just like backstory some Mm -hmm. of that stuff never gets used but you know you need it it's just like when you write a first draft a lot of that stuff is going to get cut yeah right it just has to be there so you can get it right um and i've seen a lot of people insist (laughs) this is always weird to me out (laughs) you need to know everything about your character like right what's their favorite food what's their favorite drink what's their favorite song and I'm like look I can hardly decide what my favorite food is what my favorite (laughs) drink is and what my favorite song is so why would I do this for a character Uh, yes no one's gonna need to know it right like it's It's quite silly. So, um, I mean, if you want to do that work, you totally can. Some Mm -hmm. people find it helpful for their process, which I think is why it's kind of harped on sometimes. Yeah. Um, I find it totally useless. That's just my (laughs) opinion. Uh, so when I sit down to write like a little character, I call them like little character bios and I'd like have, they have their own little spot in Scrivener. I just do really like short, I do a physical description um like I said because readers want to fill in the gaps themselves so keep it pretty standard nothing super crazy Mm -hmm. uh describe their internal struggle whatever their internal goal is like they want to be accepted by their family or they want to keep their family safe whatever it is and then the other related information so if you're writing fantasy for example they're good with daggers but they're not good with swords they're good with throwing knives but they don't have a shield like just that kind of stuff so that you (laughs) Sort of like when you're building your video game character, mm-hmm. like when you're outfitting them. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what you're doing Absolutely. Here. Any anybody that grew up playing The Sims, <laughs> well, you're you're probably pretty good at getting this stuff out of the way before you start writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was my go-to game. I never was very good at any console games. I was a Sims geek, and I loved it. When they well, we came out with the pets expansion, I was just in your happy place. Pig and shit. Uh, I was yeah. so happy. <laughs> I played it forever.
0: Well, I can't (laughs) pretend like I was good at Skyrim. I didn't get past the first dragon, but I did play it. I did play it.
1: (laughs) Actually, I played a really fun Lord of the Rings game years ago. Uh, My husband and I, like when we were still just dating so like a long time ago, back in my day. Um, And it was a total blast. And I was legless, obviously. Obviously. And he was obviously Gimli because that doesn't describe us. Well,
0: I think we've come full circle. I think that was perfect. We started with Aragorn and we stopped with Legolas and Gimli. So we've completed the trio, and I think we can end our episode here.
1: And that's the tea on character building. Please remember to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at the Tea Grannies podcast and on Twitter at the Tea Grannies. We'll see you in two weeks for our final episode of season two. So happy writing.